and the herd ran in fear. And the dark ones, children of the worm, walked the streets in the day. I turned my head from the sight. The phoenix told me, this is as it shall be, but not as it should. The phoenix left me then. Now I cannot dream. I can only remember the signs, each one in perfect detail. These are the last days. May Gaia have mercy on us. 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Werewolf the Apocalypse, a review podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Werewolf the Apocalypse. And of course, we promise you this session is going to be a special one. And indeed it is. Not only because we're doing Rage, uh, Rage Across the Amazon, uh, which is a beloved book of mine. It's uh, a bit biased, I am. Uh, but also, we're joined here by Nick, as always. Hey! And we're joined by Rob and Alita. Hello. Hey! <laughs> Rob and Alita actually reached out, took us up on our offer to be on the show. And uh turns out, they've used this book a lot. So we actually are super excited to have folks on here, other than just us, who have used the material to kind of get some decent insights into the book beyond what we're talking about. You say, uh, remember, you say uh, took us up on the offer. I say called us out. Called us <laughs> had to do it. I just had to do it. Some truth. Um, Rob did reach out to me a while ago and got lost in the mix, had some stuff come up, uh, uh, hospital, things like that, but those aren't excuses for us here at 25. We did find the email and got back to him, and I'm glad we did before the year was out, at least, uh, to make <laughs> that possible. So thank you for at least hanging in, for hanging in with us. Uh, but without further ado, because this book is rather sizable in what it is, I'm going to get to that knowledge. As always, it opens up with Legends of the Guru. Now, remember, Legends of the Guru is their sort of intro title uh, to most of these uh, werewolf books, where they give you an idea of what's in the book. And to that angle, uh, Rob, tell us what you think Distant Thunder does for this book and with the story. I think it kind of just sets you up for like that pack that's going to go out there into the jungle to start fighting. I mean, it's the way it's told, it's pretty much just you have the elders, they've gathered around. And they're telling, they're painting the picture to the, you know, the new, the newly initiated, the people that just went through the rite of passage, or even just the gung ho people that want to prove themselves. What's happening? You know, it's talking about how, you know, the black smoke belches into the Amazons from bulldozers. Just really talk going into detail on what Pentex is doing, and then it goes into the um, the pack that actually uncovered everything. It was a it was a Getafenris pack. It was the first Frost, I believe their name was. But if my brain can stop like, dropping Black itself. Frost. Black Frost. Close, though. Not very close. And it literally depicts an also a good cautionary tale of what not to do. Don't just, you know, yes, glory is good, honor is good, but, you know, if in, in the end all you did was die, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what because that's what happens to them they go in they watch pentex for way less time than a player character group would i can tell you that right now player characters be completely paranoid watch them for like three or four weeks before they even did anything <laughs> you've never had bob as a player <laughs> <laughs> just planning it out you know even though you will have that one person that's like i'm just gonna wreck it and that's what they decide to do all wreck it ralph style they're gonna go bust in i'm gonna wreck it and then, sure enough, the first team comes out and lays them down. Just mows them out. 
Now, if you can't, Rob, this is the first time we've heard about Pentex having a first team. Most people yeah. think Pentex is the corporate worm place. And as, and as we know, that's, that's more complex than just that label. So in turn, what's the first team? First teams is literally Pentex's strike force. They're, they're spe- kind of like their special forces almost. These are the groups that go in to kill Garu or any other supernatural creature that they think is going to put them out. They usually consist of a, a random mix of either Black Spiral Dancers and Femore. Sometimes I'll get other things involved if the price is right. I've seen a few first teams <laughs> that have had vampires randomly thrown in there because you have to have your token vampire in the werewolf book. Um, every everybody knows the Sabbat is in with Pentex, um, and that's pretty much what they're they're there for. They go in, they and they wipe out. They and they're they're not chunk change. These are not shock troops to throw at your people to just let them kill and get glory. These are meant, these are guys, groups that are supposed to be a pretty good challenge for, for any pack, really. That's not a bunch of elders walking around deciding, oh, we're going to go chill out with the younglings and kill all the, kill the Pentex. And I got to help you there, uh, just, to, just to point that out, because I agree 100%. Um, when people think of uh, Pentex, they always think that it's just like, we're going to go kill some Fomori. And we are not wrong, there are all sorts of different types of Fomori that are out there to do their job, but First teams are no joke. They're designed to kill werewolves uh, in mass if needed, and they're trained. We're going to be outnumbered. The the foe you face is stronger, so you have to be harder, tougher, more cunning, and better equipped. And that's the that's the piece of the pie here. And that's why in the story, as you talked about it, when it's you don't plan, you go in and done. And they make a distinction too, right? Um, and actually, what do you guys think about that? They tried saying that okay, these guys took their time to watch them for a couple days. And then went in and to, to anyone listening to the layman, why wouldn't that be the same thing as we actually did plan? Cause we looked, we watched them and then we thought it was safe to go in and we did. <laughs> well, because there's a, uh, there's more to the world when you're playing werewolf, uh, you can sit outside in the trees and, and kind of observe stuff. It was a trap and they fell for it. These, this first team was hidden and it was, and they were supposed to find it and they were supposed to do, what get a Fenris do, which is run forward, scream loudly, and find their way to Valhalla. Well, they found it, right? <laughs> the best is the best way to put it. Found it. <laughs> now, to that end, they go right into the introduction of the book, right? Just like Rob pointed out, when they're done, it's representing that new pack going off to join the Amazon and to join the forces there. Um, but they touch in this book in a very special way. I think the books before sort of gave you interesting themes like this theme is about our fifis being hurt and this theme is about well maybe gaia should get a better cut in life and you're here to help her this one straight up says the theme is a big bold hell is here <laughs> kind of yep. know what you're buying right introductions welcome to hell i think this is going to be a bit of a challenge right off the bat as you read this man the way they describe it is that uh you know, the, the entire thing that's going on here is war. And, uh, and it's not just a normal war. It's a chaotic war with things you don't understand against opposable odds that you shouldn't be able to survive against. Immediately, it just paints in my mind that last stand at Thermopylae. And this is Sparta. And if we don't win, we'll give them hell. And it's a good thing because, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I mean, Gogol Fing first is here. In this yep. book as well, and we'll get to him. <laughs> Excuse me, uh, but 
more on the theme. It's a super fun theme for werewolf because whenever you play this game, it's always like the apocalypse is here. You know, just to add another mention of a guy is getting raped. What are you going to do about it? She's your mom. Do something. And they keep throwing it on you. And it's like, well, finally, we're not going to get punished for wolfing out completely and attending a war. But the intro story should always be in the back of your head. Right. It's how you go about the war and what's around. It's the most important element of this book. I think this book is actually a training ground to teach uh, players and fans of uh, Werewolf that the total package of a werewolf is it's good to strike strong, but also smart. And you have to figure that line out where that balance is. To that end, we got to know about the history of it. Right. Why the Amazon? Why was it picked? Uh, Alita, why do you think it's smart or maybe not so smart? You would have gone with another place if you feel that way to choose the Amazon as a starting war ground for a story like uh, Rage Across Amazon. Well, it makes sense because their defor like Pentex is known for their deforestation. No matter where, in America, in the Amazon, in Italy, like there's it's referenced multiple times in multiple books. Definitely. They are known for and the Amazon make especially in this time like 93. It makes sense that they'd be in the I I kind of sent a picture reading the the intro of Fern Gully. Like <laughs> 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 it's a it's interesting in here they do they talk about and and i think back because you mentioned in 1993 and i think back to that time and they have an entire section in here where they just break you out and they say all right well let's talk half a second for outside of the book you know there is serious deforestation going on in the amazon and we should be doing something to stop it and there is serious damages being done and here's where you can go to chip in you don't have to Pretend to be a werewolf to help out. And it's brilliant because it psychs you up. It psyched me up rereading it. Like you get to that section, like, where's, where's the website? And I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> got to leave that alone. But they're like, let me make my character real quick and get involved. Um, so, but much to what Alita said, absolutely. It's deforestation, it's corrupting the forest. And I want to help people for a side note here. If you have this book or you're going to get it because you hear the podcast and, you know, it's great for them. Thank you for listening. You're going to be triggered by certain terminology that gets used here repeatedly. Now, it, they use rape. I, I used it once already, and, and not in a, I guess in a just tone, but it's because in this book, it's used a couple times, and I would argue didn't need to be used that much. Or ever. Right? There, were, uh, there were other terms that could have been done, yeah, or ever, depending on what it is. Now, one, they do it in a story, a background story, to justify why a Pentex first team member did what she did. And they write those stories in a style that I actually prefer. They actually are written from as if that character's telling you about their background, right? Like you interviewed them and here it is. And it gives you an idea as an ST how to play these characters a lot better. It goes quicker. It's more immersive. Where that one time I could be forgiving. The other times it's like, well, did you need to? You know, they describe it uh, when they, they mention how the, uh, the first pack, what was that again? That was Black Frost, I believe is what it was. Yep. When they first... I- really <laughs> right it's like they stumble across the act upon gaia's grounds in the amazon and so when i saw that i was like well it's weird because when pentex's view when they talk about it pentex causes an extrapolation of materials from the earth to be used for resources that they could use to give to other people through their products very capitalist very matter-of-factly but then they're trying to hammer home and that's the part i want you to understand this is like a shock scare a jump scare in a horror film it's not smart, right? Because there's other ways you could have brought the fear out and whatever. But you chose to go with that because it was quick. It was jarring and shocking. And to be fair, since the first book they made, 
that term, for whatever reason, holds to supply. It's the it's like the fastest way to get people mutually angry. But it's like, oh, who are we mad at? Oh, well, the point is rage. We want you to understand you should be angry. And then like when we rage and that's kind of the theme of playing werewolf. However, this book, it already tells you war is hell. It already tells you it's hard. It already tells you what's going on. It's interesting. I'm saying there might have been a better way. And if they can go back in time, hindsight is what it is. But be prepared for that. When you see it, they did not do it to be malicious. The people who wrote it are not running around going, yes, do this. Prison's great for it. Everyone's already in a one spot. There's none of that. It's just that there's <laughs> the terms are there. Be prepared when you read it. So I like saying it because those are usually the pocket arguments that people get into. Look past it um, because the content is worth it and to keep going. So to that end, we roll right into what they call the real war. And Nick just mentioned it, but we're going to mention what they're talking about. Storytellers and players, when you think of the lush green jungle of the Amazon, or if you live there, ever been there, and, and have to describe it, this book is telling you it is a work of fiction. It is not telling you Amazon's a cesspit of violence and destruction, and everyone is, it's terrible, the world's coming to an end, and there's these wolves running around, right? We know the stuff's not real out of this book, except for when it's talking about the real war. And they do mention, uh, one was deforestation, one was the fact that there are pockets of oil they're discovering, companies are coming in to remove it, cattle farming. We know for a fact, South America's big on beef, they love it. If you've ever been to Texas de Brazil or Sao Carvalho or any sort of uh, uh, Churrascara-style eating, which I I do love, I I am a fan. I I think you mean heaven, if I've ever been to heaven. It's it's good eating. I've been it, I've loved it, I've been a part of it. Um, I make a personal choice to eat more vegetables now than meat. Uh, but the simple for, for that reason, I'll be honest, it's because I'm I'm becoming gentler in my old age, or maybe I feel less meat keeps me around longer. Hint, hint. So <laughs> softer, uh, yeah, yeah. He's right? he's softer. I need vegetables. Is all I'm saying. So, but when you think about cattle farming, you're not going to think nobody is ever going to think. Well, cows got to eat, and they need space. And the more cows you got, the more space you need, the more stuff you need. And uh, except Texas, the great state of Texas is always known, which is why I've always been a fan. Um, I go there for barbecue, but I go to South. America, actually, I've never been. But if I did, it would be to have genuine Churrascara be there and have it. But they talk about the damage it could do even more so when you add the gothic punk on top of these events. Oh, and I can't forget gold mining. Although I haven't, I don't know, I didn't look it up, but gold mining's mentioned in this book. If it's still a huge, massive thing that's just totally ruining the, the rivers, then it is. And uh, that's, a, that's a thing. But I wanted to mention here, because you're hearing it's in the book, and to give it the attention that they attempted to give it here, it needs it, is to point those things out. There are, they also mentioned there are sites you can go to to see what's going on in Amazon, and I absolutely think you should. Uh, if you're like myself and you feel any type of way about it, vegetarian, vegans, you care? You really do? Check out the Amazon. Give a hoot, right? That's what we're talking about. Um, or anyone who empathizes in that regard. I don't care about those monkeys, man. You do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're adorable. All right. So with that all said, let's get back to the fun stuff. Uh, chiming back in. The artwork in this book, I'm hands down a fan. This is, this is my style of art. I do enjoy it. It's okay if you don't, but I do. What, is, what does everyone else think? I found it hit and miss. Like, some of it, the stuff that's by Bridges is, like, amazing. But then some of it, like, it's just, like, ridiculously terrible done. It's like, my eight-year-old could have drew that better. Okay. And... What are the NPCs in here to look like Dolph Lundgren? Okay. All right, Alita. Are you referring to the great Golgo that you're referring to? 
<laughs> he is Dolph Lundgren in her eyes. He will. He he is gonna go punch Rocky Balboa a few times <laughs> on behalf of Gogo. Dolph Lundgren looks like him. That's that's how that goes. <laughs> well, Gogo would have been, was born earlier, so <laughs> it's good though. But Dolph Lundgren is also a brilliant man, so I, I think he'd take it as a compliment uh, as well. So and Gogo is fictitious, right? So you win though, Alita. I I can't contest. That photo you're talking about, I know what you're referring to. Absolutely, they get it. They get them pretty raw. But uh, Nick, if you could, man, open us up here. What happened a long time ago here in the Amazon to make it this this beautiful place to fight over? Uh, well, it was a beautiful place to fight over before everyone got there, which is usually the case of things. Um, in the history of the way back, way back, uh, we know about the Pure Lands tribes that crossed over the bridge. And they ended up settling down across North America. And, uh, but they didn't stop there. The Uctena, being curious as they are, they kept going. They kept going all the way through Mexico, all the way through Central America, all the way down through South America. And, uh, and they got there and there was just something about the Amazon jungle not being a good habitat for wolves that they kind of <laughs> decided to step back a little bit. That, and they kind of ran into people when they got there. There was already tribes sitting there, tribes of people that looked a lot like their kinfolk. And then they ran into the people whose kinfolk they were, which were these were jaguars and were crocodiles. And were alligators, the mocha, they are scary. Just thinking about a were crocodile can give you nightmares. (laughs) Imagine the person who sees them in their Krenos form. For the first time. Nothing. (laughs) It's like, oh, we've renamed him. He is now um, he who poops in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> he who wore the brown pants. His greatest pooper. <laughs> These things could happen. So right there is enough to know that we have we have kind of a mix going on. They showed up, but then as they kind of they described it as respectful, like they get there to see that there's kinfolk already here, and more importantly, yep. they decide to leave because it's not good for the guru. Yeah, right. This is not an environment for them. However, there's a history there, too. I mean, those 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 people didn't automatically just show up in the Amazon, right? They they fled to the Amazon and they fled to the Amazon from the guru. It's interesting because it's two points, right, that they mentioned this book. One's to say they fled from the guru. Perhaps maybe that's what they say in the future. At this point, they say Gaia told them to come here to flee from the worm. Did the same thing that brought the others to the Pure Lands to begin with, right? They highlight that. It's not saying you're wrong. It's just I know that timing's off. Because later on, that's what they switch it to, that we came here to hide from you, and we'll get to that. But at this point, this early point, they, why it's important is because when the lieutenant withdraw, their, their, their kinfolk tell them they're staying. Where it's not good for wolves, we're great right here. Guys everywhere. It's lush. It's vibrant. It's, we, we groove here. We're all right. And the lieutenant are like, okay, we'll check on you later. Go with Gaia. Because it was the Pure Lands. And to them at this point, all was good. And so they migrate, the lieutenant themselves start heading up. Well, what's interesting is the cubs that get left behind, right? That's because it's just kinfolk at this point. Yep. All of a sudden, you have these, uh, the Macaulay are fine, the Balam are fine, or the were jaguars. Everyone's human, right? Natives, we're good. No wolves. All right. Well, out of, out of nowhere, <laughs> you have three pups that are born. Uh-oh. Right? It's like the, what do you call it, the milkman? Yep. Right? <laughs> What's like, going on? Back for a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't know you were three quarters guru. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they got to look at it different. Now, I got, I, 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, what I like about this, the Balamer here, but what what is a Balam? What is this, uh, the Bastet or where, whatever name you want to label him here? Tell us, talk to us a little bit about him, uh, Rob. Uh, the the Balam are a tribe of the Bastet, which are the were cats. They're the big jungle cats, and specifically, the Balam are the jaguars. Now, not to go into too much detail because we're not at the Bastet book that actually, you know, flushes them out. Because I think at this point, the only other book that talks about them is the Player's Guide, right? And it has a brief overview of them, but they're pretty much just you know. They're doing like cats do. They're different from the wolves in a lot of different ways, particularly besides, obviously, one, they don't run in packs. They tend to be more lone hunters. They're actually less warrioristic and more mystical, and they're more watching of everything. Also, they have a different relationship with spirits in the umber than the wolves do. Like, the cats and have den realms, which is not more than just... It, it's going to mention in the book, but den realms more than just, oh, this is my territory. This is also their connection to the spirit world. That's how the cats can get in and out of the spirit world. And so they can actually commune with the spirits, talk, commune with Gaia, get there and learn their gifts. Cause they're really solitary. They're spread out. Even the book points it out that m- most of these um, cats, they might go most of their life, maybe seeing a couple of their people once or twice, once or twice. Right. It, yep. Much. And so it's, a, it's, so it's a big deal uh, when they see three wolves, because that's a, that's a threat. And, and for a lot of reasons. Because at this point, the bomb now, before you came here as Utena, we didn't say anything, you're here. Yeah, sure, Gaia 2 sent us, and because that's the story you said to us while you're here. We let you leave in peace, all good. What, what are you doing, right, with these three wolves? And then when they have this big meeting, and um, I forget the name of this meeting, though, specific, it's a best at term. Oh, is it, or, I, I'm going to butcher it. I just remember, is it Tigerum? Uh, oh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> is it tiger? Yeah, it's like a T A G H noise. I can't. Uh... It's a ta- it's a Targaryen. Um, <laughs> the Targaryen. They, they have they have them up in the trees. I did. I get a shit Targaryen. We'll take Rob's version, uh, but Rob, I'm only let him say. <laughs> so they have this. They have this meeting, right? We have a werecat war council. And when we come up here, we're all real mad. We're all going to do something, and it's pretty much we're going to vote. We got to we got to put them down. Except, oh, they're were cats. They're curious. They're still cats, right? They put that right in the book. They're like, well, we could, but like they don't know anything. Well, what do they do? What, are they, are they going to turn into jerks, or maybe they're just normal? Who knows? So here we'll raise them like were cats. Tell them all about it, and uh, we'll see how they like and if they can follow the principles and do the thing, and uh, we'll see if it's a little. A little more nurture versus nature, and then we'll we'll see how that pans out. I picture it almost like they're about to kill him and push him off this cliff. They're like, "Well, they're not near the edge, and we can't do that." So, you know, <laughs> push the thing off the edge. That got very like Jungle Book vibes to me. Like, you know, they'll happen to decide if you're going to raise a species that's not your species, and especially not knowing if they're going to shift into cats or wolves. Well, they knew they were wolves already at this point. I yeah. Think. Yep. Yeah, they already shifted. And so, but I, I still agree, though, Alita. They still wrote it that way to set it up to give those vibes. I think exactly that vibe is supposed to reign in your head uh, to understand what they're going for, right? Because now we should feel kinship. Because if we raise them as cats, we're still just cat people in the jungle with three wolves that should never shift. But well, we'll work around that, right? Now we know this whole concept comes up as a. Uh, we can kind of see where it goes, right? Because one's a jerk, 
as they point out, and the other two are okay. Yep. So two out of three ain't bad, as it turns out. When you when you're raising wolf uh, wolf cubs up as a well as as were jaguars or balam balam whichever whichever you prefer they um yeah i guess two out of three is is what your odds are 66 percent chance it's going to turn out all right yeah well the bad uh, one's called kaku and then the good ones were inky and (laughs) huatope i believe is how it went now those names are relevant for later on purposes but i wanted to show i'm making efforts to pronounce things correctly so that's uh, is that what, yeah. okay? That's what that that's was. That's what I got out of that. <clears throat> the rainforest thinking cuckoo. This one's cuckoo. This one's zinkadu. This one's wapatoo. It's there. You're off. But Nick's Tim coming out. back. <laughs> so, but the Mayan antenna right there, they basically end up getting these cubs back. Is what happens. These pops back. Reason being is because the Blom go, we're kind of done with the grand experiment. Like, they're here, but they don't know about their own people. So, how about one of us go and take them up there to see their deadbeat dads? And uh, that's because really that's what it was, right? Yep. Um, The uh, deadbeat dads are like, ah, well, sure, we'll check them. And all you guys seem pretty cool, well-rounded, well-adjusted. And and they're like, yeah, dad, we're here to teach you guys how to kind of live cool. Because otherwise, you know, mom's not going to want to, like, see you around the house at all in the jungle. And so... (laughs) They calm down, realize, all right, I guess she could go. Cool seeing ya. And they're like, all right, but we're going to leave. And everyone else is like, wait a second. It's like cooler in the jungle. It's so boring where we're at. It's yeah. open plains. It gets cold. It's weird. You said it's like, biggest thing I worry about is a spider. Yeah, but they're really big. That would <laughs> show me the spider, right? And so they take some Utena back with them. And when the Utena come back with the blonde, the three are like, hey, no, these are the cool ones. Now we went up there with your process. These are the cool ones. And the one best dad that went with them went, I got to go bathe and lick myself clean. So you said you were curious. Let's find out. And apparently they were cool with it. They're like, there's your chunk of the jungle. Kind of stay there. She can take it. Just keep your cousins out of here, right? No knucklehead activity. You got it, cat guys. We're going to just chill. And that was okay. That was okay. It wouldn't be all right, except talk to me about a weird conquistador problem, Alita, that the Amazon seems to develop. Which, where was that? Right there, the Technomancers. Oh! Yeah. (laughs) So, I got really excited (laughs) to read this part, because I'm big in the mage, and the technocracy is a huge thing. Back then, they were the order of reason. So, help us. Me Me and Nick both went. We're pretty sure they're referring to, like, it's not Technomancer, it's the technocracy, right? Are we correct? Yes. Now, yeah. a lot of our listeners don't know what that is, so feel free to extrapolate. Like, what is, where are they? Want to explain? Go ahead. Oh, you want me to explain? Yes, because you can uh, explain better. I can explain better. Okay. <laughs> so, the technocracy, a long time ago, mages, because, okay, let me take a step back. So, mages work in a principle that reality is bendable, it's mutable, you can believe it, it can happen. Well, a bunch of mages at one point said, no, that's a bad idea for everybody. Too many realities are bumping heads and they're causing explosions and people are just dropping dead and than walking up zombified somewhere else. It's not good. So they made what was called the order of reason. They pushed science as this is the belief, this is how everything is, and they were very, very, very successful at it to the point to where now uh, magic doesn't quite work well unless you're a part of the society of the society of um society of the order of reason. My bad. 
So at this point, later they become the technocracy, but right now they are the order of reason, and they are all about <laughs> exploration, mapping everything, because if they can discover everything, then their thought is all the supernatural bad things that hurt, you know, what they call sleepers, which is normal humans like me, you, and everybody else, they'll keep them safe. And that's part of the reason why they came here. There's other reasons, too, like the standard conquistador reasons of gold and silver and, you know, bloodbath. And the technocracy has the money to do pretty much. They could come into the to the rainforest and do what they want. They have backers behind them that have millions of dollars. Oh, so just... going in is not a huge deal. Okay. Okay, so... Even at this point, they're talking about that, you know, there's all sorts of explorers that came and then the technomancers stop it, right? There's a lot of people going there saying that there's magical cities or cities made of gold, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. looking for El Dorado and, and talking about it. There's a, there, there's a lot happening here. They mention uh, some big names. Sir Walter Raleigh came here looking for it. Uh, Lope de Aguirre comes here as a conquistador and he's a subordinate officer to let you know, right? That lets you know how bad it is. He gets here and goes, these Amazonians are they're, they're kind of soft. I could leave them. I'm the king of the Amazon. That's where the riches are. We come here and declare yourself royalty, and it's great. And he ends up getting killed later, right? Venezuelan troops are like, uh, hey, look, um, you're done. We don't know what this is, but it's over. Grab him and do him in. And then, like, the technocracy seems like they're like, well, um, nothing can stand before the onslaught of science. Like, we're going to bring logic in here, and this nonsense is done. And what logic's here? You say there's a city of gold. Did any of you find it? No. Maybe you should stop spending money to go here. Right. However, that's on the front end because they knew one thing on the back end. El Dorado is a dream speaker. And we've been looking for him. Right. We know he's got a city of gold. It's somewhere and he can't have it. Right. That's their whole thing. And I'm curious about that uh, because that Alita in Mage, because that's your wheelhouse here. And I just profound question. If I'm a dream speaker and I have this imagined city, just how powerful is El Dorado? And was it a city of gold? Is that something they brought into Mage? It, well, they didn't bring, well, there is a book that goes with this for mages that goes with Rage Across the Amazon that is for, it's like the mages part in all of this. Okay. And, but it doesn't really go to El Dorado. Yeah, it's a, well, it more ties in with one of the stories towards the end is what it is. And it does talk about a couple of the Shantry. But he would have to be at least what we would consider an Archmage in order to be able to maintain a city of gold. And in Mage, you study different spherical magics, and one of them is matter, which that would make sense if he was an Archmage of also matter along with spirit. So he could... The city of gold. And am I wrong? He'd probably have to have a lot of life as well. I mean, it would just be ridiculous that you're in the middle of the Amazon and don't have that. You need prime too to maintain it. So what we have here, he has all the tools. It's possible that he's here. This guy, El Dorado, is a dream speaker and has very little uh, to worry about reality-wise because nobody can see what he's doing here. If the technocracy is having difficulty finding you, no random expedition is going to stumble upon you. Right? That's sort of how he has it set up makes it very interesting but to that uh to that level uh nick since we know a little bit more about mages here in this level and that this guy does got the juice and the possibility talk to me about what happens to el dorado like what's his deal him in particular yeah the whole situation um, well eventually they uh they just get rid of him 
And, uh, and I say, get rid of them, but get rid of them. How, um, they do some crazy magic stuff and they push them off into, uh, their own special world. Um, what do you call something like that? Horizon realms? I don't know. The, the, not, it's not, yeah, it's not the um, Horizon Realm. It would be the in the near, it'd be in the near Umbra and be pocketed out. The Penumbra. Yeah, uh, even so, so much, so much that they severed any uh, any relation to to where it currently was. Like normally, if you were going to go from anywhere in the in the Penumbra into a deeper area like that, you'd need to have an anchor head. It was severed completely. It was severed so well that they couldn't find it again to finish the job. Now, you might be wondering, why did they do that to El Dorado? Here's the deal. When the natives were here, and McCauley and Balan, everybody's fine at that point. El Dorado's there, and he's not doing anything but being what he's... He's part. He's from here. He's supposed to be here. Everything's great. The Black Furies come here, literally persecuted from where they were. Um, doesn't get dead set to how many of the amount or exactly who, but just say a group of Black Furies come here, hunted by men. And they decide that they will never be moved from wherever they set roots down again. Yep. And they become these Amazons, right? That's what it is. So much so there's even a river named after them right here is how they put it in the book. And I use that not loosely, just a little tongue in cheek, maybe as they put it, there'd be a little on the nose, but then there's some hypocrisy here. And I love a good hypocrisy. This one is. Are you talking about the very last line of this right. paragraph? We'll never deal with men. They hunted us here. Will you kill them all except for El Dorado? El Dorado seems to be a guy who's got it going on. Why? I argue it's because he has a city of gold. <laughs> Clearly, he can, he can keep everybody safe and maintain. Everybody loves a good city of gold. But, uh, jokingly, by the way, <laughs> that, folks. No. Uh, the terms they use specifically is that he has a great connection with Gaia. Right? It's a wonderful connection with Gaia. He lives off the land and on the land. And he's not abusive to it. And he's there caring for it. And the people on it. So he's literally being a ruler, but is cool with everybody. And is, and is loved by everybody because of it, even protecting them. So when they meet him, they said, yeah, we'll help you. And that's what I mean by it. They didn't go there and go, El Dorado, you're dreamy. They were like, all right, we won't kill you. And we're going to live here. And El Dorado said, well, I don't need a war council to know that warring with a bunch of 10 and a half foot tall killing machines is probably bad. What happened? You were persecuted by men? Oh, no. Here, have coconut milk. Drink it all. We're totally cool. <laughs> No more fertility parties at the El Dorado Castle unless, you know, all the, let them lead the parties from now on. We'll just, just chill for a minute. Cause that's Have a you ever had chocolate? Try right. the chocolate. <laughs> chocolate is a good one. So he plays ball. They play ball. They're getting along. But if you're the technocracy, you've been looking for this guy and now they got to contend with this nonsense. Just like Robin Lee had pointed out. Well, now you have more supernaturals walking in and this is the problem with you people not obeying science. So when they go to war with them, they're like, forget this. And that's why they shunt them off into nowhere. They're like, hey, goodbye. And then even they said, because that's a bit of hypocrisy too. We get the straight technocracy. You're against like all this crazy wild supernal stuff. Scientifically, you could get rid of them. So you said, here, I got this spell. <clears throat> Science. That's so going to leave them gone. So bad that the paradox <laughs> backlash smoked the guy on the spot. <laughs> so bad. Done that. <laughs> How pissed was that guy? I am done. <laughs> Whipping a clipboard. I don't know where he is, but we're getting rid of him. Everyone knows where it is. Yeah, tonight it's on. And then he does it and he dies happily, I bet, because he's gone. And then they go, <laughs> Did anybody get his notes before they fried on how to find the place? Because that was the point, wasn't it? Nah, we don't know. But so we write this up as project leader, a success. 
<laughs> a success is what we do. Just like any good company, we do not admit our failures. <laughs> we admit when we met, made it right. The machine rolls on, right? And then later on, some random guy, just random guy, stumbles upon the one path in the Valley of El Dorado to actually find him. And then El Dorado goes, guess what? I am unfathomably old, and you're never leaving here again. But enjoy the chocolate and the wine, and the fertility parties are when the Amazons decide. That's how this <laughs> works, right? He lays down the law. And that's, uh, and that's really simple, and it kind of sets up what you have in there, because obviously these are the main historical pieces that fall in place to make the Amazon the war zone it is to talk about. Now, when that's all said and done and laid in, let's talk about Pentex. Now, there's a cool distinction they make here where they talk about Pentex works with the worm. They say it flat out. Pentex is not the worm. Worm doesn't need Pentex. Pentex is just happens to be corrupted by the worm like everything else. That's how the worm rolls. Pentex like is... What was that? She says like Walmart. Yes. Just like Walmart. I agree with it. I, I actually do. I really do see that. Is that a possibility there? Uh, but Pentex is a board of people who all want whatever greedy, evil purpose. They want all the worst, all the worst capitalistic gothic punk ideals you could think of why a corporate dystopian area would be bad. That's what Pentex is. And you know it. Here's the trick, though. The worm's like, but uh, we're not going to get hired anywhere else if Pentex doesn't exist. Like, what are you talking about, worm? Like, I got people. I got, like, vampires. They can only work nights. Their third shifter's easy. I can't have you tell them they have to show up in the morning for a weird board meeting. It's not going to happen. And Pentex said, don't worry about it. We got good incentives. They'll never have to be at a morning board meeting, but we're going to need something back, like any good corporation. And then the worm goes, uh, would you like to predict the future? It's like, yeah, kill a cat. You're able to see it. Right? <laughs> I'm making a joke, but this is what we're talking about. It's like evil is negotiating with evil. They're working with each other, but not one necessarily controlling the other and one hopelessly fooled it's into a- believing they're not controlled right. by it. Right? Why that distinction? A lot of folks have reached out to us asking, why is Pentex even a thing? Why not just keep referring to it as a worm? Well, that's because think heads of the Hydra, except the heads of the Hydra don't get along. They don't- also, the, the worm is like not necessarily like a living, breathing being. Like, uh, like not a person that can go like to New York or to Chicago and just like walk in a building, sit down, get a contract to go to deforestation. Right. Another thing people forget is with Pentex, it's most people don't know Pentex actually overall exists because Pentex itself is just an umbrella holding company. They own a whole bunch of like these little far- they own these pharmaceuticals, they own these weapons development, computers, video games, um, in world black dog game factory, they own that. I mean, yep. loved that. No, that was great. But most people, not even the Garu, really, mostly it's like the monkey wrenchers, a part of the glass walkers are the main ones who know who Pentex is. Most of Garo are just like, oh, it's a worm. You mean it's a company that's possessed by the worm? What do I care what its name is? I'm just going to murder it. You know, just right. don't eat a Otolis. You'll, you know, get the you'll get the Taco Bell poops. <laughs> <laughs> the evil of Otolis. It's what they do. So now we know exactly what Pentex is about and what they're like. They come in here and they had a very insidious plan because it's so easy. All they're saying is we're coming in here to make space. We're just removing trees and stuff to make the right things grow in the right place because the earth is expanding. People need things and they're all here. And hey, look at how much money and good we're doing for everybody. And they bring in sleeper companies, right? We're talking like a company that looks like it's there for the ecosystem. And they say they are. 
and they're there to do things and to help out, and they try to trick the guru that way. Um, we're not going to go too into that, because really that's pretty much see-through. When you read about it, you know they're in here just to hide whatever they're bringing in to really do. Absolutely. Uh, the people actually driving the bulldozers have no clue about Pentax. They just know they got hired for a job. And what's worse is that those people come from the natives in the Amazon, right? That's the... Uh, that, that to me is the sickening part. We're not even going to bring in anyone that she could really do damage in taking out. They played on, the, on it, though, very well, because at this time, Brazil was really trying to pull its way out of that third world country, you know, um, title it had. And it talks about that in the book where they, they were like, hey, we can make you prosperous. We can get you money. We can get you in funds, people coming to visit. We can pull you up to from a third world country to a first world country. If you come, let us do these things and real world back then. Yeah. Brazil was very, very happy to have any American company come do anything back then, you know, and then the, yeah, it's a, way. yeah, Pay exactly. You know, it's a corrupted dick move on Pentex's part, <laughs> but you know, you've got to sit there and be like, you, well, I know what you did there. Well played, sir. That's good. That, good business. Now it's now let me move my chess piece. <laughs> so you may be thinking, all right, so you see guys have outlined Pentex, and yes, there's all these other elements here, but if Pentex is just in here deforesting, the worms are just stopping what they're doing, well, what's what's going on? Well, I'm glad you didn't ask, but did. And uh, what's <laughs> what's going on is, you got to remember that once they smoked that first Guru pack, the Guru didn't just go, wah, wah. I guess that happened. And now we'll let the lieutenant tell us what goes on. That chain reaction started, right? They have a very heroic story that talks about their pack alpha warning. Uh, that group that kills in that Pentex first team that you started a chain and laughed as he died, shot to death because their kinfolk waited, saw what happened, saw their fate anyway when they didn't come back, but then turned around and reported it to the Get of Fenris. E- exactly what occurred. And the Get called a war council, and their heroes who stepped forth immediately was Golgo Fangs first. I know we've mentioned him in jest, but really, he's a, he, to me, he's a cool character in this book to charge mm-hmm. forward and decide that he's going into wherever this was because get have died and the, the worm killed him. Well, that's where we go. Like without question and to realistic response where everyone else is like, how come you get to steal the glory? We're, we're right there. We're going to every one of us is going and Gogo doesn't tell him. No, he says, I'll see you there. Right. And he, he shows up there. They all show up. 13 tribes show up with representatives to say, Hey, we're going to talk to you right now. Why are you in charge and leading it? And he turned around and said, who wants the challenge? Right? You couldn't have been shocked that a get would do that, but he did. Why? The get believe in strength. If Gogol was not the strongest, then let the strongest be known and step forward and prove it. And one tried. Right? It was a great Fianna warrior that stepped forward and tried to challenge for it and lost with honors. And when that happened, the rest of the group said, look, we'll concede that you're top dog, but you need a war council to help you make tough decisions. And Gogol was like, yeah, I do. Welcome to it. And they made Ranch Apocalypse. I love that name. It, it wasn't <laughs> just uh, wasn't just one person that challenged him, though. Here was the problem: they kept challenging him. Everybody took their turn to challenge him, but only one person was worth mentioning because he's the only one with the uh, name. I understand and I forgot that. It. I, I, it's Killian Stormfist. There you go. But the important part to note it in this is that they kept infighting for so long that Pentex got the edge. That was the important part to note. Well, that's what they're talking about, the hesitation. What was it, Alita? Hey, Gogo is, like, 63 years old, you know, 65. In a profession where people die young, I mean, wolves, they die, like, at 
like 18, 21, all the time. He lived to be that old. He obviously knows what's going on and what he's doing. Yep. I mean, uh, see did you guys see the uh, Mike Tyson fight? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't care how old that man is. I am not stepping in a ring with him ever because he can just kill me. Dangerous but is dangerous. Danger. I have met people who are in their 60s and 70s who will throw me over a building because of their skill level of fighting. So And so so Gogo strikes that appearance, right? He's he's that wizened warrior who believes through strength and cunning to get her the best choice and proved it. And they think willing to let him do it. We see in the book at this point, right? Um kind of broke up there. <laughs> so, I think he's the first rank six Garu we've seen in a book up to this yes, point. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely he is. He holds that card. Uh, that's how I ever knew of him, was when someone goes and went up to rank six. I, I remember, I think it was 1920. I was like, what, do you have your mind? They're like, yeah, no, it is. Like, whatever. And I was like, let's see it. And <laughs> they're like, well, here's your book. There it is. And I was like, okay, that's weird. And then you read about him, and you're like, oh, well, he has all that stuff. It's not just all that stuff, right? It's the story and the way he's written, the way he's presented. Why I enjoy it is that he's not a he's not a jerk character, right? He's literally the warlord. That's an easy if you're a storyteller and you're looking to have the action that the werewolf game espouses, and that's what it is. It's this book because they already get, they did the easy part for you. You got Ranch Apocalypse, Gogol Fang versus there. All thirteen tribes are represented here with their representatives, obviously, because that's what representation is. And you can send whatever player group you want to go here to start doing these missions that would be here. Pentex is always up to something. It writes its own action TV show out of this book where every freaking game such is your own playland of what you want to happen. And it's, it's all right here. But what's important to note, it's not all rainbows and lollipops. Why it's so dangerous is it would be great if it was just the Gru versus Pentex. But we know it's not. Because in the middle of this, the Gru mess up in a couple spots. First one is Nick, you already pointed out. When they got here, they started challenging Golgo. And while they were handling that nonsense, that pissing contest, literally, um, you turned around and had the Balam um, who get kind of crushed in the middle. There's a cairn they want to bring, uh, they want to create, which is the hollow heart cairn memory serves. And they see it and they believe, oh, hey, it's abandoned. We'll just take it. And out of nowhere, they start getting attacked by this Balam, this female Balam, who is, uh, you know, trying to drive them off. And on her own, she's leading them a wild goose shakes, guerrilla tactics, whatever. And eventually the group just go, let's talk to her. And see if we can speak reason. We really need this Karen side. It's powerful. We need to establish things. And the guru, like, uh, or she's like, no, that, that's my home. That's my debt. You can't have my home. And yeah. the guru go, fine, we'll kill you. And they drive her off. That's the second big mistake, if not the first, that they, the real bad mistake that they make. Because, oh, yes, I would agree. Because they drive her all the way to a great Balam who's in the area uh, by the name of Black Claw. And and Black Claw is no joke. There's there's no. a lot of material written about Black Claw. Black Claw, the Rage card game had Black Claw in it. As I was uh, first introduced to a card for him, and I had to look up the story on him. I was just impressed by what he ends up doing because it's not just go ahead, Rob. My friend had that card, and he would tear me open every time he'd put him into combat. Right, it's it's a great card. Uh, it's a great character because, like you said, uh, Rob, the best that are not necessarily incredibly social they're not going to see each other every every month and meet for team cookies they like to no. go out experience the world come back they might have a meeting or two if they happen to see each other and they're they're fine being solitary they have a problem the cool thing here is that they show a hierarchy of need 
that when one of them went to the other, in this case, uh, Black Claw, and she says, hey, listen, I'll work with you, but you got to help me remove them because look what they did. There was no hesitation. He was like, yeah, of course, let's go. And then the guru are like, what? We got to deal with this. Well, remember, all 13 tribes plus Gogol are being what? Stopped by two? Two were creatures? And the answer is yes. You're in their jungle. You're on their turf. They are absolutely being the monkey wrench to your operations. And Pentex is raking it in. If you want to get a good visual, just remember, you know, what did Kevin McAllister do to two bank adult bank robbers coming into his house? You no, know? it's pretty much the same thing that happened. That's, that's fair. Fair. That's what yeah. uh, that's what she have going on. Now, we have multiple bases set up, though. Got to point that out. You know, Gogol calls. Uh, what is it? The groups formed wargs. Yes. Right? And that's and that's how it is. So this is important. Right. Uh, and it's a. Uh... It's because the tactics that Gogol Fangs first lays down here are modern military tactics. It doesn't really even go over that in here, but the way that the wargs are organized, packs of packs into moons, into everything else, it, it forms like battalions form. And he leads these and sets up upon each one of them their own uh, individual section leaders. And then as he does that, he starts setting up forward operating bases. He starts setting up combat outposts like Ranch Apocalypse and starts setting up an intelligence HQ and scouting parties. It's very, very well done. I, I know the writer had to be military. It just, that experience doesn't come out of nowhere. Well, there is something in here that makes it uh, a bit like, this is, this is ridiculous. And it's the fact that they're creating cairns, right? They straight up tell you they start making cairns. Now, if anybody knows that about, uh, well, there's a right to make a cairn. That there and is. how dangerous that, that, that is. And so well, it wasn't just every worm creature from miles around to try and stop it. And in Amazon, I guess that's what Tuesday. Like if every yep. worm creature's coming at you anyway. Oh no, it's like Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, right, <laughs> so it's it's gonna happen. Is the point right? So they're making these scans left and right, and that's the part that uh, that astounded me the most. It's very difficult to do. It's a lot of spiritual energy to, to just juice into it. But all the tribes are behind it and motivated, can get it done. Um, the part two to this is the well, part three now. Uh, we're talking about the Macole. We mentioned the were alligators before as they refer to them. Um, yes, before anyone says it, I know the Macole are not just were alligators. There's more to it. At this point in the Amazon, though, in this book, they're referring to them as were alligators. Later on, we'll get more definition, a little a little, little leeway explaining more of what it is, the great, the great dinosaur kings. But yep. whoever would like, why do we got the Macole on a rampage at this point? Um, oil drilling, excessive oil drilling, and it leaked into a river that came down to um, one of their nests. Ugh, evil Enron. I mean, Endron. I'm sorry. I said that wrong. <laughs> yeah, they, they did not hide Endron very well. <laughs> they, they threw him under a bus, really. It was just sort of, there they are. <laughs> yep. And that was that. Now, I enjoyed this because they talk about the fact that when they went to investigate this drilling mistake, right, they went and did it. They're like, all right, we'll send 10 people. The cleanup. Yeah, I know. I said, oh, times are tough. We just can't afford any more to help clean it. They say that all that was left was an empty clearing and some strange footprints. The footprints resembled tracks left by a dinosaur. Endron covered up the operation quickly. It hasn't been back since. Endron packed up and left, but the Macaulay were already awake at that point. Too and late. so they start, they start looking around. They start seeing what's going on. And what you have here is that it might have been once upon a time that the Guru had a war rage and they decided all, all changers must go but them. And they believed, or at least at the time, they said, yep, they're all dead, we're good. 
these Macaulay don't care. In the Amazon, they don't care where you're from, how you've been, who you are. That was then, this is now, and some of them might still be from then. And that's your problem. And they're like, this is our jungle, these are our muddy waters, this is what goes on. And we'll eat you. It's that simple. We're here. If you're not, sniff, sniff. You're the Utena that settled here. Go your way. <laughs> but if you aren't that, dodge, dip, run, and dive. I mean, that's that's how they build these Macaulay. They're just not, they're not the Macaulay you negotiate with. To them, to me, they read like instinctual creatures. Like if you, like Godzilla woke up, and if you don't smell of radiation, he doesn't recognize you as one of his own, right? And just kind of goes on a rampage a bit. And it's not entirely true. I am poking fun here a little bit, but he dinosaurs. Hey, can we just say it? He's, he's <laughs> dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. You look at what they can shift into. They're giant dinosaurs. And at the end of the day, you're that little lawyer from Jurassic Park. And they're just like, snack time. <laughs> it's done and done. And then it gets rolling into the fact that now that you have all these elements in play, let's talk battles. And they talk about the battles of yore for the first time ever. You have a book that says this territory is still being fought over, and here's the types of battles we've already been through. This is super awesome. Like, because we have problems in, in a lot of settings. It, uh, it doesn't feel lived in. You can't have your galliard sit down and tell the stories of the people who came behind and what happened behind and the, and the renown they've gained and the things they've done and the history of a region. They lay it out here step by step by step by step. This happened here. This guy did awesome. This person got screwed over. This all happened. Here's all the great stories your galliard should recount or whoever you have uh, as uh, your storyteller at the great moot talking about these stories as you amp up your players and send them on their way. You may think we're going to go through every one of these. We're not. That's just not it's not time for it. However, I do happen to know that there are great stories that you both, Rob and Alita, have been through dealing in the Amazon, playing in this game setting before. You care to tell us some highlights? So, um, yeah, because one of the actual um, one of the actual stories in the book we I've played. Well, actually, I played both, and I've ran them for my wife here. Um, so one of the stories in here that it talks about is pretty much um, how a group in Rio is operating and how they're trying to get um, the vampires to be kind of be on their side because they can pull some strings that the rest of the guard, you know, really can't in the city and everything just kind of goes to hell. Overall kind of like people get killed, people get assassinated. So we're playing this route and the way it works out, it's like you're going through it and you're trying to prove, well, no, we there wasn't this assassination of the main vamp of the vampire or sort of the, from the vampires to the Garu leader it was Pentex setup. So we're playing this version. And we get to this point where we're going to like, let's just go off on this and let's continue on because it's too much fun. We get to where we're going to make this drop. We find this information that proves who actually assassinated the Garu in charge and we're going to exchange it. And we decide let's meet somewhere where nothing bad can happen. Obviously, <laughs> That the you know the the statue of Jesus, the big one with his arms out crossed, uh, the, the statue of the Redeemer. It's a place of peace. People, yeah, people are going to try anything. <laughs> it's a beautiful landmark, and boy, were we stupid. You could see um, it from space. Yeah, well, yeah. Pentex shows up with a helicopter, <laughs> and they come in with a first team as well. So we're fighting it. We're doing pretty good. The rolls are all over the place that night. My character gets a hold of a hand grenade. This helicopter's 
shooting us down. I'm thinking, you know, I'm just going to chunk this hand grenade at him. The storyteller's like, well, your difficulty's going to be this. I'm like rolling, and there's a whole bunch of tens on the table. Oh, nice. Like six tens? <laughs> so I chunk it, and, he, and he's like, well, I'm going to maneuver. So he rolls, and he botches. <laughs> <laughs> so what ends up happening is the grenade goes off. It hits. The helicopter gets back. And the propeller hits the statue and cuts the head off. <laughs> falling on us, and the head's falling, and we're running down. It's kind of like Raiders, that scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. We're running down the hill, and the only thing they can hear is my stargazer going, "It's not my fault. It's <laughs> my fault." <laughs> well, decapitating uh. Jesus was never so humorous. Uh, that's a quote from the Romans, by the way. To a long line of. Hey, let's take Rob to these locations and see what other landmarks he can destroy. And unfortunately, he was right. <laughs> and then every time the character goes to Brazil, they're like, don't forget, Jesus needs a hug. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> What's the penance for for that? You know, it's like, uh, how many uh, how many I'm sorry's does it take? 70 times seven. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. But understood. But understood. Um, so from that, it sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like we had to go through. We had political uh, maneuverings needed. Working with vampires is always pretty interesting when you're werewolves. In that, in that cause, how many times did you have to stop like the rest of the pack from like trying to, or were you part of it, trying to constantly kill every vampire they saw? I actually had to try and stop it because I, I was the stargazer. So of course I'm the weird one. Quotation marks. Which stargazer? I'm going to just play it out. Stargazer is my favorite tribe. I love them. I love how they think. I love how they try to control rage. Yes, it partly has to do with Kailindo because I am a martial artist, so I love that aspect of it. Um, and so I'm, they're like, let's kill him. My, my guy has to be the one that's like, no, we can't. They can do this. But they're of the worm, but they're not the worm itself. You can be tainted, but still not that thing. Then they were like, oh, he's just a navel gazer. I'm like, really? You're reading that slur? Right? <laughs> well, I've never heard of an evil That's gazer. That's pretty though. interesting. Fair. <laughs> That's a term for the books. That's. <laughs> and I had to remind, and it, it sometimes it boiled down to, I'm like, I'm going to remind you all that my character is the Arun. I have the highest combat stat. Do you want to step up? <laughs> and they're that, like that's refreshing to hear actually there's a there's a lot of games that we played with werewolf where i, I know i've ran I know, i've seen a part of it as a group where it's amazing to hear somebody want to fight in pack like that just happens like i'm tired of you saying the x y and z you want to go and it's like are really it's and it happened one, uh, more than once so there was a get who was talking down because i was a stargate like you stargates are no are nothing in combat i'm like you want to go it's like let's go and okay round one K.O., you win. Flawless victory. <laughs> My character is a... I play a Silver Fang, um, and she's constant. She's a Silver Fang Arum. She's constantly going head-to-head with his Stargazer over who should be Alpha. Oh, I let you win that time. Let's do it again. Let's go again. Fight you again. I think her, fa- her catchphrase is, I will gut you to everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's Stargazer to me. That works. It fits. I mean, you got a clave. What's it for, right? Exactly. That's- my silver fang's name is like Savannah dances in blood. Because <laughs> dances in blood. <laughs> well, I ran her through the rite of passage, and literally, she, she her character ripped a um. 
I don't even remember what she ripped in half, but it was over her head, and she was just completely drenched. <laughs> so oh, we're like, wow. <laughs> uh, so, so in here, I don't want to forget. Um, there, there are some cool names in here to check out. Um, I like the Fallen Return of the Hero is my favorite, actually, of the battles that are here. Definitely yes. read that. Read about Earth's Anger. That's a you mentioned Silver Fang. It's what popped into my head. Uh, Battle of Screaming Mud's another one. It's a good Black Fury story. Yep. Um, and and on that, just it's it's decent story. Um, the March of the Trees is another one. Learn about Gaia's hand. That's it's a important. Pack it's there. important for that. Becomes a camp later on. And why we're mentioning that? Because again, the battles. Here's the super thing about this book. I think is neat. If you're a storyteller and you hear it, you're gonna run it. Odds are. You most likely, if you're me, not going to run the battle per se, like they wrote out of the book. And it's going to be more fun to maybe take one of these battles, make that something the players play through. Yep. That you have it. So that's why I'm making a call not to be detailed with what goes on here. Because if you are like me, you're going to want to grab that and do that. And I don't want that to be something blasted at your players here and go, now we know what to expect. Instead, play that book and use it for because that's exactly what I believe the battles were set up for. And everything that Nick said, absolutely. In fact, it's a, it's a good insight. I didn't even think about that when you started opening up about Galliards having ammo of stuff to talk about before they play their character and have to kind of make up what their guru's seen or been through. It's good stories. It's good lubricant. As they say, absolutely. Also, it's just a book, because really, if you just go in and do your two scenarios, you can be done in two sessions. But True. if you actually go into these stories, it kind of stretches your sessions out. Well, that's if you play straight out of the book, and that's a good point. Some people do do that. I've been at some groups where they just play whatever's in the book, like it's a, you know, a beer and pretzels game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but right here is we're going to mark a pause here as we kind of explore through the Amazon book because uh, we were at exactly right around uh, the stop of the recording time for, for part one, and we're going to do that. We want to thank Rob and Alita for joining us, obviously, and I had to immortalize the Jesus head statue. I thought you were going to tell me about the resting place of your character sheet. That's what I was hoping you'd get to. That is in storage, unfortunately, still. Oh. It's, in a, it's in a frame. I believe he's framed at rank four. On a Stargazer sheet. On a Stargazer sheet. sheet. Yes, this guy is um made a lot of mistakes with him. He's my favorite character, but and we did a lot of things that were like, maybe I shouldn't have done that, or maybe the storyteller shouldn't have allowed that. Or <laughs> yeah, you had fun. You, I was definitely 14. <laughs> so <laughs> you had fun, right? That's that's I, the point. And I so now he's my elder Garu NPC that I use for so many things. And he hangs over our TV next to his martial arts swords and, and nunchucks. Sentimentality is not lost. <laughs> and I love it. I love it. Um and to that end, um, thank you very much for you both being on. It's a joy. I actually <laughs> I can't get over the Jesus head statue and still cracking me up. But um, it was it was so good that when I ran um, her through that story, I just like you know what this happened. It was funny. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but before we go, so far, you know, you guys put the book through. Um, let's get that much in before you're off. Uh, what what is your take on this book? Sounds like you had fun with it, but is a review. So I want you to look at it from now standards and otherwise. Does this book hold up to something you would say? Yeah, purchase this book. Great werewolf experience for you and your your teams at home uh, to try out. Um, it would depend. Like if you are a storyteller wanting to like really get into some battles, yes, go ahead and get this book because this book has equipment and has some jungle tactics that for actual war. 
not something that you get into too often in a lot of these books, which is weird for a book that's all about the war against the worm. Um, right. You know, um, if you're a player, eh, maybe it depends if you're a completionist. Because there, yeah, there is some things that are dated. There is thing, definitely some things that are going to need to be updated. Sam Heights in there, just mock me. I would say definitely, if you are a storyteller, get this book and follow the Hyatt story from the beginning. Because you can play it through from the beginning. Multiple <laughs> books. Follow it from no. the beginning. No Hyatt. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh. See, all right. Height was such a pain in our behind that our um, third, our ooked in a third in our group actually um, went into hedge magic specifically to for him. He took a couple paths so he couldn't use his um, fetish of the snake um, skin to run away, and we ended up killing him. Oh wow! <laughs> so we're just like we're tired of this mother. And so, and the storyteller didn't quite understand. Apparently, obviously, didn't quite understand what hedge magic was. He just like oh. It says in the Uktana tribe book that this group of Uktana learn hedge magic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it works, it works. I'm never going to fault the death of Samuel Haight in any means. So, no. uh, to that end, uh, that's that's of course their their take. I I agree at this point. I of course already told you I love this book. Um, I think Nick, we're going to hold off. I know that till part two because we're going to get into a lot of the story and see what it is. Nick tends to have that critical eye of uh, hopefully unbiased this time around. Usually one of us is. And uh, well, we'll see if it holds up, uh, but we'll get into that. We'll tell the not exciting part, because I do believe your stories that steal the show uh, as, <laughs> as we go through that. So we'll we'll go with that. But I want to thank you both for being on, Nick. Always. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll see you we'll hear from us next time. Everyone. Thank you for having us. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM. At our email, info at 25yearsvtm.com, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25yearsvtm, or on our website, www.25yearsvtm.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.